0: we can have all the credentials. We can have all the experience. We can check all the boxes, but we still get passed up for certain roles and positions. And my tolerance, I've I've been working, what, maybe 18 years, I think now, and, and in the workforce. And it's a different it's the same cycle different companies right so we have the cliches of diversity equity and inclusion and, and that's what organizations use and i never want to be tagged with a quote of why i got a job or a position but i want to be held to the same standards as others in the same expectations so the straw that broke the camel's back is i'm tired i was tired of the same cycles and i, I just felt like we didn't have a voice
1: Welcome to Smart Career and Money Moves, a podcast for professionals seeking fulfillment and purpose in their careers. Each week, we will sit down with experts and trailblazers to discuss the ups and downs of finding and following your passions, whether it's through climbing the corporate ladder, starting a business, or launching a side hustle. So let's get into the show. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Smart Career and Money Moves podcast. Today, we have Miss Janelle Jordan. Not only is she my sorority sister, but she was my role dog in the School of Engineering at North Carolina A&T. She is a doctor of business with a focus on leadership. You guys know I love that. She is a speaker and a mentor to leaders in corporate, and she recently published her first book, Still Not Enough minority millennials in the workplace. Welcome to the show, Janelle. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited. (laughs) Awesome. I'm excited too. And so there's so much to unpack. But the very first thing we do on the podcast is I have you complete the sentence. My smartest career and money move was? Venturing out on things on my own outside of corporate. Love that. Okay. So we're going to get back to that at the end, but let's talk about kind of like your background so that people and the listeners can understand what led you to that move and and kind of what the journey was like. So I know that you study electrical engineering like me, and you also fell into manufacturing like me like right out of school. So how did you choose that lane or did it choose you?
0: It was so many different avenues. And when when you're coming out of school, you don't necessarily know what you want to do. So the opportunity presented itself. I knew I wanted to get an advanced degree. So the company that I chose allowed me to do both work and get an advanced degree where I didn't have to worry about uh, tuition being funded. So I kind of fell into manufacturing. I, I feel like it has a rhythm of its own. So you know whether things are functioning the way they should or something's off. You add to a process that contributes to either a product or service that you see in out and about, and it gives that, that sense of excitement. So manufacturing kind of, I guess I felt in, into it and, and I enjoyed it.
1: Okay. What would you say was the height of that kind of be- before you moved into leadership, kind of just, you know, as you're working in manufacturing, what was the height of that?
0: I would say just my enjoyment of working with teams. So we studied engineering and a lot of it was group work and team building. So that concept just always stuck with me and just background that I played sports growing up. So that team concept always stuck. So the avenue of leadership, I want to say I kind of just fell into it naturally, so to speak. I think it's important to have leaders where you work that see talent in you and help build and challenge you to that. So my first management role wasn't necessarily one that I was seeking. I was content being an engineer. And I got called in and told that there was a management opportunity available and that I should apply. That's
1: kind of how it happened. <laughs> but that happened pretty quickly, right? Like at what point in your career did you move into leadership? Probably a couple years after I started working. So an engineer,
0: you take on projects in the workforce and I guess it was the organization of the projects and making sure I met the end result that led others to see that talent in me.
1: Okay. So like... You kind of just touched on it, but a lot of people don't have the opportunity, right? Like, that's not normal. A lot of people can work 10 or 15 years before they even get the opportunity to move into leadership. So what do you credit that to? Like, what were you doing? What did you show up and do at work that gave people this belief that, like, she's ready?
0: I'm super competitive. I push myself. It's an internal drive that I want to make sure I complete tasks. And I will say a challenge, especially in a manufacturing environment that's dominated by males. And I will even say Caucasian males to that extent. We're not necessarily involved in the workforce. So it was my effort to make sure I didn't fall to the perceived bottom of the barrel or underperform. So it was a challenge to myself and, and kind of that internal drive to make sure I didn't didn't disappoint and
1: fulfill my commitment to the job. So where does that drive come from? Because most of the people I have on the podcast are first generation college grad first generation corporate charting some sort of path that nobody in their family has been experienced before, so I mean, and you seemingly kind of just jumped into the pond and like started swimming successfully, like what do you think is behind that? Is there any story that you can share that kind of
0: I don't know if it's a story or a dream in the pond per se. I will say, like I watched my mother and and father who. Not necessarily, they have college degrees now, but they went back after my sisters and I were already through school or about to graduate college for myself. So just kind of seeing them work to build my grandmother. So she didn't have a high school education, but one of the hardest working women I I knew. She made sure we had, we were taken care of. So that push to make sure that family concept and everything is well-sustained has just been instilled in me and is what I witnessed growing up. So my dad's one of his favorite sayings is "I'm a jack of all trade, master of none." But he dabbles in different things, and he picked up different concepts along the way. And that's without a college degree. And I'm probably the last person to say this because I do have my doctorate. But I tell people often a degree just says, "Hey, I have the concepts and the conceptual knowledge or the theoretical ability to obtain uh, credentials." However, it's the practical knowledge that just helps you thrive and those experience.
1: Okay. I love to hear that because today a lot of people just rely on their degrees and then it's like when things don't work out, when companies do layoffs, it's just like, well, what else do I have? So I'm glad that you touched on like, you need to have something else. It's not the end, I'll be So when did you decide that leadership was your lane? Like, How did you decide that you wanted to go that route for your doctorate?
0: It was pretty much just watching how I work with people. And I'm, I'm pretty observant of people. At, and I would say maybe more so professionally, probably opportunity personally, but professionally, I would say just watching people in the workforce and, and kind of working with them. I was paired with some people from a mentor kind of aspect. And some of it was because of my physical traits, but other than others, it was because it was naturally linked. I learned the concepts of managing of and taking those lessons from others. So my challenge when I go to work is how do I make my team function when I'm not there? That's how I deem success when I'm working. Pretty much, how do I keep my phone ringing when I'm not there? The team is fully functional. And it's the ability to train and empower the associates to do and thinking and how you would kind of have a, a task executed. So not to say I w- I want a robot, so to speak, but more so I use the concept, I don't care how you tie your shoes, just tie them. So as long as we can, I don't care if you loop, swoop, pull, rabbit ears, whatever works for you, right? But the concept and the, the methodical thinking has to be there in order to have execution and failures occur or opportunities from every decision that we make is how we speak to the rationale of the choices we make. And how do we move forward? So that's what I try to instill in the team. I got that early on. Some of that was the coaching I received where I wasn't penalized per se for my way of thinking, but I just needed to be to speak to it. So I've had some, some managers, some mentors along the way that made me think, okay, what different concepts can I bring to this? And it it I don't need anybody to give me a full directive of how to execute, but take my personal thinking and, and implement it.
1: You said a couple of key things there. I don't need full instructions. And I think that's a level of confidence, right? Do you consider that a level of confidence? Because I just a lot of people that I experience who, you know, my clients and just people in general, mid-level career, they don't even have the confidence to think and like try something and like just this disconnect that like. That's what we're actually in these roles to do It's like right. <laughs> think and like bring something to the table. Well, people are so scared. Where do you think that confidence came from? It's just in your
0: ability. So one thing somebody always just say, nobody's going to be your advocate better than you can for yourself. So you have to be confident in your ability. The biggest confidence booster or reflection is saying you don't know, but you're willing to learn and going to seek that information. You have to build confidence in your ability or nobody else would. You won't have credibility behind it. It's kind of hard to lead others when you are questioning yourself. The strength of a team, they always look at the leader and how they respond. I feel like it's almost a carbon copy in some aspects of how the team functions. Like of course, it's not a perfect storm, right? You'll have some some people on the team that you might want to take a different approach with or they might not be the right ones on the bus. How do you coach them and challenge them? And at that point, have you given what you need to prefer them to perform adequately? But it's funny because you said confident. Question is with in a conversation with somebody the other week. Is there a difference between confidence and arrogance? So you may want to make sure you don't want to give off such an arrogant stance. But if you're a student of your, your trade and whatever it is you do, you always go in and speak factually. You, you never go off of the word or the strength of someone else. You, you verify facts and you go from there.
1: My next question is kind of, I fell in love with leadership through bad bosses. Yeah. Right. You know, by like, oh, God, I don't ever want anybody else to experience this. Things can have to be different. What was that catalyst for you?
0: Ooh, and I hate to use this word, but I had a similar kind of situation and it's the unconscious bias. So it made me very aware from a bad boss of do I have blind spots that I'm not aware of? Am I displaying to my team to where they're? where they're not open to coming to me and talking to me. But I always want to make everyone feel comfortable in an environment or setting. And I've had some bosses where it wasn't always comfortable talking. I think the challenge for me of when I, I felt comfortable bringing it up one, manner of respect. We talked about confidence just now, confidently speaking, on well, what I'm willing to accept and not accept. I had a boss kind of talk crazy in front of a team and being very directive, I got the team assembled and, and we corrected. And I talked to him offline and I wanted him to be very clear of I'm a person first. I expect respect. And I think that's a part of managing up. All right. So that was the experience of when I give that feedback. How do you do it respectfully? No, you can't go individually. To, to people and give uh, everybody on the team feedback of what you expect. Sometimes there are going to be common examples, but the delivery is what's is, what's important. So that was one concept of, wow, people really don't know how to talk to people. And we always say the golden rule, treat others how you want to be treated. But sometimes in the moment, emotions control us and we react in that environment. And I tried to be very cognizant of that. And I probably get upset more so at myself when when I feel like people almost take me out of that element because i worked hard to not reflect the bad boss mentality.
1: What's your definition of a great leader?
0: Authenticity. I will say being authentic, uh, being transparent, open to conversation. I know you say definition, but it's (laughs) a couple of words that reflect that. Somebody that's, that's easy to talk to. Sometimes you're going to have to take off your leader hat and you're going to have to have very honest conversations. I think when you mislead people in their career, that's a set up for failure. They put their career and they're trusting you to help with their development. I think you have to be their biggest advocate. Sometimes I've seen leaders try to be a, a bit selfish to where they build positions around people and they try to prevent them from promoting up through the organization for own, their own selfish gains. So I think you have to be a big advocate for those that, that you're leading on the team. So, but be yourself. You don't ever want it, to, it's hard to, to keep up with a facade of who you're not. And I think people, they key into that. They they read into you and they want to feel comfortable in who they're dealing with and not kind of the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, not sure of who they're going to interact with on that day. So that's kind of a good definition of a leader. But what you speak of confidence and being sure of what you want. But more importantly, you have to set the vision for your team. You have to set the cadence and, and and establish expectations. But a big part of a definition of a leader is also holding people accountable.
1: So what advice do you have for people who are not in leadership positions? How can they use your definition of leader, the words and descriptions that you just gave, how can they use that to help them further their career, you know, before getting the title?
0: It's going outside of the bounds of the eight hours that you work or however many hours you work. And it's funny because I, I uh, had a discussion with a young lady yesterday about this, young in her career, and eventually wanting to get to that point. So you you have to kind of be willing to be flexible and, and reach out and delve into things that you're not sure of. And It's going to be a bit uncomfortable, but until you find your niche and and what works for you, you have to take on outside assignments. So I would say it might be out of your normal realm, but if you know, hey, I want to take on leadership, how do you take on a project and see it through in addition to your normal day-to-day task? I think when people see that you're willing to go beyond the scope of your job, that opens more doors and opportunities for you, and it's how you you lead a team. One of the, the big questions on interviews of tell me a time when... And we love to focus on what the team did overall, which is a team concept is good. But when you're trying to get the job is what did you do? What were your parts? Were you merely a team member or were you engaged in helping to direct and lead the conversation? So I would probably just say the encouragement of stepping outside of your, your normal lane or your zone and taking on additional responsibilities. I mentioned the whole education thing. It doesn't have to be a degree. It could be courses you take. It can be seminars you sit in. It can be podcasts you listen to. How do you hone in on building your craft or what you feel you know you want to build and develop on?
1: Right. So it's, what I'm hearing is that it's about initiative. Oh, for it's sure. It's about <laughs> Not waiting. And I mean, this is like a huge thing that I kind of model myself after. I always say, doing is sexy. It's like, if you're not doing nothing, you can't really complain about lack of opportunity, lack of, right. you know what I mean? Lack of visibility, lack of being seen, lack of people noticing your efforts. It's like, if everybody just got up and did something, right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what separation from the pay? <laughs> And it's that simple. It's that simple. People are like, how do I separate myself? How do I stand out? Well, you stand out by getting up from your computer. You know what I mean? Step away from scrolling on your phone or whatever it is you're doing. And like, what can you put into action? So Janelle did something very sexy. She took action and she wrote a book. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you said <laughs> She beat me to it. Okay. I, <laughs> but so I've read the book. You share a lot of, you know, the ups and downs of being a minority millennial in a STEM career. I want to hear like the real, like, take me to that moment when you decided like, I need to write this book. I need to share my story. Like, Help me bring me there.
0: So the for years, I like I've taken notes. I've always got told to, to document. Right, documentation is important. And so for years, I've had like notes from just different jobs and roles um, where I could challenge back and speak factually or account my ordeal. So in the last encounter, in the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak, is we can have all the credentials. We can have all the experience. We can check all the boxes but we still would get passed up for certain roles and positions and my tolerance. I've I've been working, what, maybe, what, 18 years, I think now, and and in the workforce, and it's a it's the same cycle different companies right so we have the cliches of diversity equity and inclusion and, and that's what organizations use and i never want to be tagged with a quota of why i got a job or a position but i want to be held to the same standards as others in the same expectations so the straw that broke the camel's back is i'm tired i was tired of the same cycles and i, I just felt like we didn't have a voice in the workforce a lot of conversations and i, I got asked before who did, who's the book for is it for millenn- uh, for minorities Is it for millennials? And no, I would love for them to read it and see the experiences and know you don't have to tolerate or push as hard and break through barriers where I felt like I I needed to do something else or I wanted to personally build on myself. But it's really for the majority of the workforce. It's for the males. It is for the Caucasian workforce that's out there that limits us because, again, it's those blind spots. Oh wow, I didn't know you experienced that. And, and that's some of the dialogue that I've had with people who read the book that we don't have the same attributes or physical traits, but they're surprised because they're just not aware. But I will say the book has also open different dialogue where I didn't perceive, where I had a conversation with a white male who felt like they didn't have some opportunities to grow within an organization because of Diversity initiatives. So I was like, wow, why, why'd you feel that way? Like, And again, it's, it's all about perception in the seat you sit in. So it, it was a bit shocking, but it was because they felt like the companies were starting to focus more on diversity initiatives that they were putting females and, and Black and Hispanics, melanated people into these positions because they were trying to fill quotas or or expectations for, for diversity initiatives. So that's why I wrote the book. And I, I feel like that's not it. It's starting the conversation, but I don't think it's, it still needs something more, if that makes sense. Because I still feel like when you put people on a slate of paper, and it's something I had a conversation about uh, recently with someone, most people that don't fit into the that category of minority millennials, because we still have the baby boomers in the, in the workforce that were trained by traditionalists, et cetera. And I commend this new generation because they come in with the fearlessness and the ability to speak up that is just unreal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, at all. They don't care. <laughs> at all. So I just want to make sure we're we're carrying this conversation on and we let people know that there's still opportunities out there. So that's the driving force of writing it. And this year, last year, excuse me, around this time, it was like, I'm going to actually do it and put pen to paper. I can speak about it all day.
1: So a couple things. How did that conversation pan out? I've never actually had that conversation with anybody and I, you know, it's all around the media. Here's the cheat code to making a career pivot or to getting promoted. First, you need the skills to do the job or the ability to learn how to. Second, you have to be able to market and sell yourself as the best candidate for the job. I created the Career Brand Accelerator as a professional development program to help you become a master at marketing and selling your skills so that you will always have the tools you need to make a career change. Cause let's be honest, it's easy to get a new degree or certification or even to revamp your resume. But nothing quite prepares you for establishing your brand and for finding out what makes you unique so that you can stand out from the other job candidates in today's competitive job market. I have good news for you. You don't have to navigate your career on your own. Visit the thecareerbrandaccelerator.com to learn more about how to pivot into your next role and how to level up your career without new degrees and certifications and without applying for tons of jobs online. So I'm actually wondering, what is the other perspective? Were you able to, who persuaded who? Where? How did you guys leave that conversation. <laughs> it's actually
0: neutral zone, right? They moved on to other opportunities and, and organizations and, and whoever your advocate is, is going to differ, right? And uh, as I was saying, like my position is they get afforded positions based off of potential and what they could possibly do in that role in, in networking and who they know. And, if we don't have a voice in the room or an advocate, we'd never we'd never be afforded that opportunity. And not to say it's a, a handout or looking for a grab, a, a opportunity just to be handed to us on a platter. That's not what we're looking for. But I think there were different perspectives and awareness open, but I think it's a neutral territory because I still want to revisit it. That's why I said I don't think that's the end all be all of a book. I'm thinking kind of second second book. How do I get that perspective and capture it all and and tie all of it in and get those thoughts out? Because it was something I never thought of somebody, a white male feeling this way. It was pretty shocking. So it it was just kind of neutral, so to speak. They said they ended up leaving an organization, uh, the organization after that and found another opportunity. But again, I can only imagine that they had things that they were challenged with as well. And sometimes people just don't want you in that role, right? So maybe- from that that side or that seat, it might have been the same thing I was experiencing as a minority my, millennial myself. They were getting in on that end of some people just won't want you because it's you.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, I kind of view that conversation or that situation. I don't know what to call <laughs> it. It's kind of like just sharing the wealth, right? Because I don't know, you know, if people from, you know, majority I don't know if they even have the perspective that what you just said. People are giving me opportunities just based on my potential, and they're looking at you know not considering other people's potential. And so it's almost like because we're we're cracking open the door a little bit to give minorities some take a view at their potential and kind of allow that in. It's like is that actually? like a negative or a shock to the other person, you know, it's like, why does it have to be a zero sum game? It's like either we're winning or you losing. It's like, where, where is the, what do you think about that? I mean, it's really strange. It's like, (laughs) it's very strange, (laughs) but it's almost like that's the way of the world. You know how they say, if you every, for every yes, it's actually a no to something else. Or, and in this case, it's a no to somebody else. But yeah, I just, I would have loved to have been a fly on that wall. Like you got to get him for an interview. like oh, for sure. I- <laughs> it, it's planned. But yeah,
0: it, it is. It's quite shocking. Again, it's put your money where your mouth is. So like I challenge, I look for a company that, or companies like when you pick them out, What do the people, when I go in the building to interview, what do they look like? Do we really say what we're doing? Does it reflect a place where I feel like it's a safe space and it's a level of comfort? Or is it just lip service? Of I put it out there because I really want to attract talent or I I have to interview X amount of people for EEO standards, for instance. So I I really challenge of, do you really want to have a, a different thought mindset? Because your upbringings really form who you are and your ability to think outside the box? Do you want that strength on your team? If everybody looks like you and thinks like you, are you winning? That's why I encourage organizations to put that diversity out there. So for me, I mean, I won't act like I I grew up the richest. You know, we weren't poor either. No, we may do with what we had, but I promise you, my my dad, like I said, master of, uh, jack of all trades, master of none, He made things work and made something out of nothing. So I think that contributes to my ability to think outside the box sometimes. And where everybody sees five no's, I'm going to give you a reason why it's still going to work. Or where plan A failed and you only have plan B. Well, no, I'm on plan Z, getting ready to go on double A, double B. So, (laughs) you know, (laughs) that's the kind of people I want on the team. I don't want yes people. I want you to challenge me. I I want people to feel comfortable telling me, no, this is why. Or, hey, let's think about this. So, you know, that's a challenge of organizations when, I just think it's funny you, where you said they, they talk about diversity and they feel like, oh, I'm closed off. No, open the door. Get past my physical presence and actually listen to, to what, what I'm saying and, and what I'm conveying and see if that can work. And it, it gives a different dynamic to the team.
1: So you said something in that last uh, two questions ago, you were when I asked you about what led you to the point of writing the book and you were talking about the cycle. So what is the cycle? And then what do you say to somebody who wants to break out of that cycle? So what is the cycle?
0: The cycle is you go in for a position. And and for, for me, the first time when it was abundantly clear, you, you had thoughts of whether or not something was in your favor or not, or whether you really met the mark for getting a job. But the first one where it resonated was, I went up for a job and I talked about it in the book, and, and it was a technical role that I was applying for. And the person who actually got the job had like a a liberal arts degree or something um, to that extent. And I'm like, wow, I have the experience. And they were like, well, no, they got it because they worked here. They, you know, for X amount of years, they bring this knowledge of this area. But I'm like, okay, so I checked the box in the categories of the technical aspect, the degree, the experience of working with the company, willing to learn eagerness. They give all the aptitudes on the job description of interpersonal savvy, business acumen, check, check, check. But it still wasn't, a qualification for me to to get the job, and I wasn't allowed an opportunity to learn or grow because that person had been there fifteen years, and I had been there a couple years. So that's kind of like the cycle that I see. It's enough to get you in the door, and and one thing I encourage people when you apply and you're starting at a new company, make sure it's the job you want. Don't try to say, oh, I'm I'm gonna move up. Like, be very intentional about the job you're applying for because that move up is very challenging. You can come in the door and get it. But progressing through sometimes is a bit of a barrier, and also it's the the people who've been there for fifteen years, and they haven't moved. and And sometimes companies feel obligations to give them a role. Well, no, you've been there for fifteen years, and you're in the same position, or you haven't accelerated. There's probably a reason for that. So I hate to say so bluntly, but it's a reason, but that's the cycle that you see because you'll put in for these positions, you'll check the box, but because you have Joe who's been there for 15 years and decides he wants to do something different or he's been turned down for opportunities, well, coach him up. Tell him transparently, this is the development that I see you need. This is the career path I think you should take. And maybe you're not a leader, you're an individual contributor. And that's where I think you fit most. So those are the honest conversations that need to happen, but sometimes companies fall in the, the pitfalls of the cycle of, well, they've been here and I really should give them an opportunity. Well, don't decide on my ambitious path in year two that that's when you're going to give them that opportunity. And that's what I've I've experienced personally.
1: I think it really boils down to, and I've seen it just like you described time and time again, I think it really boils down to managers like people, managers who are not actual leaders. And that is what, ooh, to my core.
0: Yes. Like
1: I'm going to have an attitude, but that is the result of that because this is a manager who doesn't realize that like your job is actually to make people better. Your job is to upskill this organization and to help people learn and grow. And so just because you took the easy route out And you didn't try to coach this person over the last 15 years. Now you're trying to make up for it and heal your own guilt. And it's like, well, let me just give them a promotion because they just been here. And it's like, no, your job is not just to shuffle people along, right? This ain't elementary school where we just, no child left behind. (laughs) Like, (laughs) You are supposed to be taking an active role in like, fostering this growth. I mean, Lord, I could go on and on. Oh,
0: absolutely. And I, I fully agree. It's the participation generation, which is getting worse now, but yeah. you know, everybody needs to get an award or say good job. No, sometimes it's not a good job. Like <laughs> it's just not, you need to do more, I, you know, take the, the awards and accolades away and really just say what it is. I can appreciate constructive feedback more than anything. Feedback's a gift. You You choose to use it or you don't. But that's definitely a gap of where we put people in positions. And and sometimes it's because, oh, they know the process, but it's it's to what you said. You're supposed to mold people. It's it's talent development that's supposed to take place. You don't have to be the expert. You're supposed to have a high level, be able to communicate up, down throughout the organization and guide and lead your people in organizations. Like my team, I have currently love them to death. And that was, we were looking at something the other week and I was like, well, where is this list? Why, Why don't I know? where this list is and, you know, how do I get access? And so they laughed and they were like, we'll give it to you, but you don't you don't need to worry about it. Just load the wagon. They were like, we got it. So I love that. Like, I wanted to learn, like, how do we mold this together? But they, they had a tool that they were working on and trying to make the process a little bit more seamless. And I was like, well, wow, let me learn this so I can help. They were like, no, we got it. So that's really what should be taking place when you're on a team and not just based off of what you know.
1: And I think that's how you know if you're getting the job done. I mean, that's a sign that you're doing a great job with your team because that's all, like, always have been my perspective. I I was always the one telling my manager, like, yeah, no, I don't think you need to come to this meeting. Right. <laughs> I don't think you need to do that. It's, yeah, it's just like when that's a sign that, like, this person understands the levels. and And when you can do your job and you're like, there are some things that my manager's involved in. Like, I want them to be thinking about something higher up. Right. You know, this is like stuff we can do. Exactly. I'm glad they checked you on that. But we've all been there. I, same oh, thing.
0: Yeah. I told my manager the other week, he got, he came in for something. And I was like, yeah, I would never have you help me with that. He was like, well, why? <laughs> I was like, Cause this is this a problem if you're involved and I need you? Like, thanks for helping. Thanks for your willingness. But I'm good. I, I don't need you to, to delve into that with me. I got it. So, yeah, I think that uh, that speaks volumes of what you're doing. And, and also, I think it's important to to be able to be comfortable saying that to your manager
1: or your leader. Like, I got it. I don't need you. Right. Because if you don't, then you actually blocking your own blessing. You never get to show. Right. You never get to break out of the cycle if you don't ever get to show that I can consistently take on more and do more if you kind of accept the help. I think that's such an interesting concept that like, we're kind of just talking through out loud. I don't think I had ever thought about that's a good way to show that you're ready. It's like, no, have a conversation with your manager. It's like, no, I don't need you to do any of these things anymore. <laughs> right? I'm okay. I got it. Let me load some
0: take something off of your plate. So yeah, like, Especially when you get up a higher ranks of organization, you should be strategically thinking. You're, you're supposed to be five steps ahead of your team, not down in the weeds. And I think that's one of the pitfalls of managers. You're too far in the weeds. Like you're you're steering where you think the end result should be instead of letting the process work and uncover for itself. You don't need to be there. Give, give me high level energy. Keep it there and, and we got the grunt work now here. You know, it's a balance and tears of it. So So how did you break out of the cycle? What did you do? I that's action. Okay. I hate micromanagers and I never want to be a micromanager or be micromanaged. I want to I wanna go ahead and, and be ahead of what you think. I want to anticipate needs. And my goal honestly is to stay out of the radar. If you don't have to worry about me, I'm good. When you already say something needs to be taken care of and I can execute it, that's a win. So that was the trigger of how do I keep? my manager out my business. When I come to you, I need you or for direction of guidance. And that's not to say I'm completely self-sufficient, but only where I need some direction. I think the breakout was when I came with answers versus looking for answers. You provide what you think uh, could work in in various solutions. And you kind of see that buy-in and where the trust starts to get built between you and your manager of wow, they're empowering me. Let me link in the high level stuff or keep you abreast of what's going on. But I don't need you to know every minute details. But that was the moment for me where I felt like the trust was being built because I came with answers and solutions to problems versus being, you know, wanting to be direct.
1: So I want to move into most people when they start the podcast, they start telling me we we usually jump right into the struggle. <laughs> but everything sounds like it's been so great for Janelle. Yeah, right. <laughs> 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 exactly. So, and, and the reason why it's important to talk about our struggle is because there's somebody else who's having the same problem and they don't know what to do. And they feeling like the problem is me, you know, that this is only something that I'm dealing with. So what do you think, I know you talk about some struggles in the book. So pick one of your biggest struggles that you kind of want to kind of walk us through. Like what was the situation and then how did you get through it? And then what do you say to somebody who's dealing with it?
0: In each one of them, I'll walk through one of them. So I talk about leaving the workforce. So when I left the workforce, I was in management. I tell people, now that I'm a little seasoned, even more seasoned in my career, I, I used to walk in the room. I had the answers. I was confident in what I was doing. At times, I felt like I was a bit too much of a hothead and like super responsive, right? Because I knew my stuff and I was that confident and you were not going to catch me off guard because, no, no, you need to clean up your stuff. And that's that's where the blocking point was. So I, I would go to work and I would live probably maybe five minutes to work. But I promise I didn't go to work until it was time for me to be there. Sometimes I would get there a little behind. But I did the work, but it, it wasn't pleasing. It wasn't self, you know, self-serving for me. I hated going. I would wake up in the middle of the night, sometimes a little bit of anxiety and bouts and that's stuff that we struggle to talk about, but it's real because my gear sometimes don't turn off when I go to sleep. Like my mind constantly goes. So I'm in this environment. I hate it. I'm working. I took a pay cut to go there, a significant one. They said some overtime. I was working like six, seven days a week. So I'm like, why? And I went and I was talking to a manager about, I felt like I was starting to become a dumping ground. So a customer came in and I was actually about to do an interview and it's probably not my, my most glaring moment of professionalism, but I'm being transparent here. But I was doing an interview and right before the interview um, was to take place, I got told, well, we told the customer that it's in your area and you're responsible and this is a timeline and it was just so untrue. And I was like, it's a hard one to swallow. So I went to go talk and my manager was with me at the time and I went to go talk to the person that was communicating this and and to discuss it, and while I'm at the door, they pretty much were like, well, this is what it is. And they shut the door while I'm standing there. It took every bit of being in me not to kick that door <laughs> and really give the energy they were looking for. So at that moment, it clicked. I'm okay. I don't need to be here. I took off my badge. I gave it to my manager and I was like, hey, I'm good. And I will say jokingly, but so serious. This is why I don't put a whole lot of stuff in my office space at work. Because when I need to leave, (laughs) if I need to leave. I need to not have to have five boxes to come with me. I don't need to move in. So I gave her my badge and I was like, I'm okay. And I felt bad because she called my name, like I had a mutual respect for this person and was like, come back here. Let's talk. I was like, no, I, I think I'm good. Like for my mental state and my ability and to not completely lose it in here, I'm going to walk away. Um, so uncharacteristic, I, I was blessed with the ability to be able to not work for a couple months and did some entrepreneurial type stuff. But I sat there and reflected in my garage and I love a traditional pen and pad and I, write, I would write down thoughts and ideas, but I had to self-reflect that I needed to work on me. People can't take me to that level. I can't be that frustrated. And when we talked about confidence and arrogance earlier, it's a a balance of it. But I knew I needed to self-reflect and shape my attitude on, on some aspects. Like I had some ownership in that too. Everybody doesn't. They're not going to be acceptive of who you are and what you bring. They're going to put some challenges for you. It's how you respond to those challenges. So that was a big struggle for me and, and being a bit vulnerable during that time and emotional roller coaster where you crying and you like, look, I just want to sit in the house. I got to figure out life and then eventually getting a kick in the butt and, and saying, all right, it's time to get up. And I will say, it's not all in what you do individually. It's who you surround yourself with. Your team. You have to have those people around you that challenge you to do more and tell you, all right, you you moped enough. Or the, the fact check you of, no, you really could work on this. So that that was super important. And the best advice was self-actualization. Realizing who you are, where you have opportunities to grow. Like I said, feedback's a gift. When people give it to you, I won't say that everything that somebody says you is going to be true. But you have to kind of sit back and be vulnerable to what they're saying. And does this work for me? Is it really who I am? Or do I want to be perceived this way? Don't compromise yourself in it. But that's the best advice is do a self-check every once in a while. It's super important.
1: Thank you for sharing that because I think it's important, you know, to take stock. All feedback comes from somewhere. It comes, you know, like you said, it may or may not 100% apply to you, but you gave off some sort of vibe. Right, right. <laughs> they received this vibe from <laughs> right. somewhere. So it's important to just take the gift. So you talked about stepping away from the workforce. So was this at the point when you were saying you made your smartest money move, your career money move, where you started doing some things for yourself?
0: Oh, for sure. So my cousin, which I consider a brother, so we do the brother-cousin term. He was venturing out and opening around a liquor store. So it was him and my uncle initially, and then I I was helping with the startup phases of it. And then eventually I got into it with him. And sitting there and, and taking organizational practices and putting it into private practice, and then looking how do we expand and build from this. So during that time frame of me not working, we did the liquor store. Ended up doing a car wash and walk-up convenience store. It's like how do we build on real estate? So as my brother cousin stated, they're not put. They're not building more earth. So how do we acquire property? and make it work. There's some lessons learned, and I would, I would love to say, yeah, I opened up 10 chains after that, but it's a learning lesson, right? Health insurance is really expensive, so I came back to work. So that was one. <laughs> but I was like, okay, enough of a break. But two, when you're not running your own business day-to-day directly, it can be a bit of a financial burden and a challenge. So from both he and I work full-time in and, and significant roles of responsibility, and from that, we decided to get into the commercial side of things. So we rent the properties now. So we took the businesses to where it was draining of our time and kind of financially, and, and we're starting to make the physical assets work for us more so. And I know you can you can relate to that. And
1: Yeah, I mean, because that's something corporate can't give you. Oh,
0: yeah, for sure.
1: For me, and I want you to talk about why you feel like that was the smartest move you made and what it does for you. For me... It's that freedom of exactly what you said happened to you. When you are running in that cycle and you decide that like, no, I want off for whatever reason, just like you. I mean, you had to step away because you're like, I don't even like who I'm becoming for real (laughs) in this. And so for me, it's just the freedom of like. When it's not working no more, it's not working no more. <laughs>
0: oh yeah, for sure, for sure. It's like a bad breakup. Then <laughs> you're in a yeah. toxic relationship. But yeah, I, I think it's important to have residuals on the side, and I think it gives you that that freeness, that opportunity. Like like you mentioned, to walk away and let let also organizations know I got other things that I'm I'm going for. Like I'm not locked in. I'm not tied in. And I have other options sometimes. And I think traditionally, like especially when our parents are working, they would work with companies, work for companies pretty much their whole life. Right. Or at a minimum 10 years. No. uh, And they would deal with like the stresses of the job. But I want to have that flexibility that if I need to step back and do something different, that, that luxury is there. And it's something I own. It's something that I put my... My equity into versus making the money millions for an organization for the work you put in. So I always joke you know, it's my my retirement plan long term when everything's so expensive we can't afford to, to retire. But I want to make sure we set up generational wealth and the money's working for me. You know, that you know you get paid day to day to do. But how do you invest that money and pour it into yourself that that has a long term effect?
1: I got a real question because some of my clients are dealing with this uh, struggle. Gap in employment is because you, you by choice, stepped away from a career, went and focused on your own thing, and then successfully got back into corporate when you felt like it. What advice do you have for people who are struggling with the fact that there's so many layoffs going on in the last 18 months? It's like, I feel like my gap in employment is like a tarnish on my record and nobody's ever going to want me again. Like, is that true? No,
0: <laughs> but it's also important what you do with your time while you're off. Are you working to build yourself or your growth? Like mine was kind of from an entre- entrepreneurial aspect. My latest gap before I-, I returned, and it was a shorter one, but it was trying to push the book. It was something that was going to benefit me in the end. Don't sit down and slump and watch soaps so or whatever you do when you're home. How do you take that and what you learn and grow from that period of time and you put it on your resume? You put that as skill sets that you picked up, whether it was a course you took, whatever, you still have to hone in. There's a lot of free stuff out there that we we have to dig into. And I don't I don't want to say, oh, everybody go get a a business, go open up your LLC or whatever. That's not what I'm what I'm saying, or buy properties because everybody doesn't have that luxury. Is what you're doing in the time and how you can list that as a skill set on your resume to justify your gap in employment. And don't go in into an interview. And fudge it, right? People see straight right through what you're saying of, oh, well, I yada, yada. And they're like, hey, okay, that's what you did. I, I think you just flat out tell them, these are the things I worked on while I had the gap. Or you explain, and sometimes it's, it's family reasons, personal, etc. Speak to it. Own it. You took that time. You needed it. And that that shows self-reflection of yourself. Yeah, some employers might not get it. And they, they might be hesitant of, oh, they tend to walk away from the workforce. And they only work X amount of time and be away for nine months. I wouldn't encourage it to be a repetitive cycle of making it happen, but I think it's important that you utilize that time that you're away to build and not just just wait. Sometimes it, it, you won't get paid for some of the things that you want to do. Sometimes the payment is time. So yes, you're not working and there's a gap, but figure out freely, can you volunteer to do something? Can you learn a skill while you're out? So it's, time is a, a resource that we don't put value to sometimes and you can't get that back. Like it's super valuable. So just how you use it.
1: And I I love that. What I was trying to interrupt to say was that it's not necessarily a negative that you weren't working per se. It's negative if you weren't doing anything productive.
0: Correct. <laughs> Correct.
1: Yeah. So find a, a way to uh, communicate what you were doing that was productive And like not diminishing it either, right? Because like you went to write a book, I mean, I could see in a world where somebody's mindset could be like, well, I was just writing all day.
0: You know, it's like, no,
1: you were putting out something into the world that is going to help somebody. So it's all in your perspective. But Janelle, you have a truly inspiring story. You know so much. You share so much. What are you reading? What are you listening to? What can you share with the audience that is helping you, like right now, helping you grow, helping you continue to stay grounded, confident, all those things? So this would
0: be a gift and a curse of some because everybody's not super religious and I'm not going to act like I'm a Bible thumper either, but I do take time to meditate and spend time with the word. That's super important for me. But outside of that, like find the the channels that where you want to see yourself grow and develop. LinkedIn, super powerful tool. If you haven't followed Jerry Dozier, please do. <laughs> but no, like you have very insightful things that you share. And, and it's a, a ton of, of views and perspectives on LinkedIn that are out there. There are segments out there. There are seminars. But the biggest thing is don't be afraid to have the uncomfortable conversations. You're around people that are different from you. And, and I, I say it and I, I encourage people to do so because you talk to you know your same core group. And sometimes you won't think differently. We talk about diversity. It's also diversity for yourself personally. How do you mix your circle? Those who you you interact with. Like at my previous job, my mentor wasn't a person of color. It wasn't a female. He's a white male. I talk to him frequently. We don't work together, but we still talk. Like we text this morning. We talk or, or text a couple times a week. So just having a good balance of people is super important. I talked about circles and making sure people give you different things when you need it differently. I won't say I have like a hundred friends, like Facebook friends, that's the fallacy of they're really your friends. It's it's that core group that you can reach out to and talk to. And it might not be daily. It, it's just when you can reach them and they pour into you. Full transparency here as we talk, like I spoke to you during the time when I was writing a book, like that was super helpful. Like it, it energized me. Like I was super excited when we spoke. So it, it's people who are around you that Keeps that balance for you. And you know, when you work hard, you got to play hard too. That's like, it's a work life balance, and people talk about it. No, be it. Self care is important. I don't care if you just take an hour every couple of weeks to yourself to do something. Take yourself to lunch. It's okay. You know, you won't look weird sitting at a table, but all these things are important to build into you. So, How do you take care of yourself so you can take care of others when you go to work? So find things that feed into you and give you different perspectives and and insights. And then the self-check. Am I doing what is perceived as a a good leader?
1: I love that. Uh, The listeners want to keep up with you. They want to follow you in your journey. They want to know where they can get this book. How can we support you and all the things you got going on?
0: So... Um, I'm on social media. They can look me up uh, via my name, uh, Janelle Jordan, on Facebook. Instagram is uh, at soulambitious underscore 83, I believe it is, or I might have to double check that. But I'm I'm on um, IG, but I also just kind of recently ventured out and put something more solid in place for my speaking events and training sessions. So it's called... uh, Ego Leadership Consultants. So they can reach me at ego, E-G-O, leadership consultants at gmail.com. So feel free to to reach out. And I'm on LinkedIn via my name. So I try to stay somewhat active on there and, and post things here and there. So uh, the book is Still Not Enough, Minority Millennials in the Workforce, available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. If you don't like to read, there's books. I
1: definitely am not narrating. I can't stand okay. my voice,
0: but it's available.
1: I love that. We'll be sharing all the links in the show notes, so they'll be able to get to it quickly. Thank you so much, Janelle. It was so fun. Today. Thank you. I enjoyed it. <laughs> all right. Thanks, guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for listening in today. If you love this episode as much as I did, be sure to hit the subscribe button, leave a five-star review, or share this podcast with those in your network that are striving to make smart career and money moves. Till next week, bye.